better over there. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we do one small piece of what it means to give our lives to the potter's hands, we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our souls, we open ourselves to receive from you your word today. Because we know, Holy Spirit, that the word is one of the ways in which you choose to shape us, to mold us, to change us by your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We continue to seek to be mastered by God's Word by reading Colossians chapter 3. So if you're using one of the green Bibles, this is in the New Testament, so the second set of page numbers on page 156. We've looked at the ways in which we are united with Christ in His death, united with Christ in His resurrection, And today, we're going to see the culmination of those beautiful truths, the guarantee that we are united with Christ in his ascension to heaven. Now, who here knows when the ascension took place? When? Forty days after Easter. Now, there's a good reason why most of us don't know that. We don't talk nearly as much about the ascension as we do about Christ's death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter morning. Uh, In our time and place, Easter and Good Friday is the stuff, right, for our faith. But at the time that the catechism was written, it was actually the ascension that was the most uh, needed to be talked about and understood. It was the more controversial topic of the day. And so at the catechism, when you, if you look in your worship folder inserts, I didn't even put all of them, but there's more questions and answers and longer questions and answers about the ascension than there is about the resurrection. And so while I was working on the sermon this week, I decided that we needed two weeks to talk about the ascension. So we're only going to do the front half of the sheet today. So you can look over and be ready for next week now. And you'll know what I'm going to say before I say it. But we are getting all of these understandings of being united with Christ with this passage on the new life in Christ from Colossians 3. So let's hear again what God has done and what God is doing inside of us and what he invites us to do. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are below, that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. And these are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self and its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. How did he get there? After Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. This was a real thing that happened. Let's... Look at the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 46. What do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched with witnesses, was lifted up to, from the earth to heaven and will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. So we'll get to that judging part in a couple of weeks. But for now, we're going to think about the ways in which God's ascension from earth to heaven is for our good. And we shouldn't be surprised about this idea of it being for our good, because everything that God does is for our good. If it's not for the good of those who are... Okay, no, I want to say it this way. Who benefits from the creation of the world? The things that are created. We get to exist because God creates the world. Who benefits from the word and leading leadership of the prophets and the law? The people of God who come to understand the best way to live. Who benefits from Jesus coming in flesh at the incarnation, being born, humbling himself, and joining humanity? Humanity, who gains a Savior, who is perfect. Who benefits from the death of that Savior? Humanity, who cannot pay that price. 
Who benefits from the resurrection of our Lord and Savior? Humanity, because it's as though God drags us out of our death and carries along with us on his coattails to his resurrection. And so we see again and come to understand that the ascension of Jesus is for our good. That even though we would love to have Jesus literally physically standing here with us, there is something good about why he is not here. That even though, as you see in question 47, the answer to 47 Even though he is truly human and truly God, his humanness is not here with us right now because his humanness has ascended into heaven at the right hand of God. But his divine nature, God, has kept his promise to be with us until the very end of the age. The promise that he made to his disciples. And it is for our good. So how is it for our good? That could be the way that we ask question 49 instead of how does it benefit us? How is Christ's ascension to heaven for our good? First, Jesus pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ our head will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. And third, he sends his spirits to us on earth as a further guarantee. By the Spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. I want to share with you from Ephesians 2. And if you're going to try to look it up real quick, I don't know the page number, but it's a couple of books in front of Colossians. Just listen to these words. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So you were once living under the rule of sin, right? We talked about the part of us that's been put to death. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh. All of us once belonged to that way following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath. We were citizens of that kingdom like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we have died. We have been wrought. We have raised, been raised with Christ. Oh, that's a mouthful sometimes for me. And now we have been seated with Christ in heaven. That's how we're supposed to see ourselves, as ones who are in the heavenly throne room, the sanctuary of heaven, before the throne of God above. Because we are with Christ. 
And why is that a good thing? Because it is there and it is through Christ that we receive the gifts of God. It is through Christ that we experience and receive God's grace, his riches that Ephesians 2 talks about. So we'll get into that a little bit more later on if it's still a little like, whoa, what's going on there in your head? This is Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested and tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You hear it in both of those passages. We go to the throne of God because Jesus is there and we are found in him. And so we go in confidence that we will be heard by God. We go in confidence that God welcomes us. We go in confidence knowing that we are one with all of this goodness that Jesus has done. So let's look a little more closely at these guarantees, shall we? Let's actually start with that second guarantee, that our flesh is now in heaven, and we know that we ourselves will be taken up to be This is a guarantee that humanity can find a home in heaven because of Jesus. Now, this isn't a guarantee that it's our fleshly body that will be in heaven. That's something that's been hotly debated and still no one really knows. I mean, this is the place where purgatory comes into conversation and trying to make sense of what happens to us between the time that we die and the time of the new heaven and new earth something that's sometimes called the intermediary state. And we don't have to have that figured out, but what we have to know is that Jesus has made it so that we are welcome in heaven. That humanity, in his flesh, he represents all of us. And because Jesus is welcome, he makes us welcome before God. So that's that's the only thing you have to understand about the mystery that is what happens to us after we die for now. Okay? Because we die and rise, we also ascend. We follow in the way of Jesus. Not in just what he lived and how he lived, but in where he goes in these things. Now, the third guarantee is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of like to think about this in the world today as like, you know how you get a warranty on your car? So it's supposed to be good. Then you get a warranty, and then sometimes you get that extended warranty, and you have to pay for it. And everybody says, don't do it, it's not worth it. Or, do it, you're going to need it. Everybody has a different opinion on that. But this is the guarantee of God. So everything that we've learned so far about being united with God and dying and rising has been the guarantee of God's good work in this world. 
the guarantee that Jesus sacrifice on the cross was real and for us the guarantee that there is life after death as we know it in the resurrection like the final victory will be won that we do not belong to that old kingdom but to the new kingdom these are all the guarantees we've been exploring with god and god's ascension to heaven is a further guarantee that every single promise as second corinthians teaches us every single promise of god the father is a yes in jesus Every single promise of God is a yes in Jesus. And then he says, and the Holy Spirit is your first installment. Your first installment on that guarantee that everything we have said and everything you have experienced in Christ is trustworthy and true and steadfast and cannot be taken away or changed. And so, in the mystery that is, the way God has designed for us to come to know who God is. We would not know or experience the full power of the Holy Spirit unless Jesus ascended to heaven. Because Jesus promises the Holy Spirit before he dies. And he says, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. And he promises again at his ascension, I am sending one to be with you. And so I don't understand it, but as I look back over the ways in which God has helped us come to know him, right? The stories that we read of the times in which the Old Testament took place where the people came to truly know God the Father. And when Jesus came to earth and the stories that we read in the Gospels and the New Testament that help us to truly come to know God the Son. And now... In this present age, we are living in the testament of the Holy Spirit, where the people of God truly come to know God, the Holy Spirit, the one who unites us in that one body, the one who guarantees that we are united with Christ because the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who puts Christ in us to live and to rule and to reign the holy spirit is the potter's hands that we sang about shaping us the holy spirit is the one who renews that image that colossians talks about the image of the creator of the new self the holy spirit is the one who is regenerating the life of christ in us And so we get this gracious gift because Jesus has promised it and all of God's promises are yes in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's the warranty that will never run out. And the other reason why this image works so perfectly is because we are broken and need to be fixed. And so we need to call on the warranty. We need to call on the Holy Spirit to be at work, to transform us. So we need this guarantee to be real and true. And this is why the ascension benefits us. Because the Holy Spirit comes and does that work in us. And finally, as we stand here, at the, or as I stand here at the communion table, 
we can remember that Jesus is in heaven pleading our cause. Guaranteeing that we are united with him at his death, united with him at his resurrection, and that we will always be welcome in the throne room, in the sanctuary of our God. Back in the Old Testament times, this, the priests were the ones who would take the, sacri- the animals that were to be sacrificed from the people who were trying to atone or to show God that they were sorry for their sins, that this is part of their act of being in confession and trying to make amends for their sins. And so the priest would be the one who would take those animals and actually would do the sacrifice on behalf of the people. And so they would be the mediator of not only the prayer and asking God to forgive, but they would also be the mediator of that forgiveness to the people. And so they would stand in between the people and God. But in Jesus, we have the perfect high priest who is pleading our cause before God. Hebrews chapter 7 describes it this way. If you want to go back and read this another time, it's at verse uh, 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented in death from continuing in office. And so we needed lots of priests to continue to do this work of interceding and pleading for our, for our case. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, through his one death and sacrifice on the cross, opened up heaven to us. And now, by his literal, physical presence in heaven, is basically ensuring that what happened there at the cross stays, is permanent, by just being who he is, which is Savior and Messiah. So just being who Jesus is is enough to guarantee that he is permanently pleading our cause to be worthy in heaven. And so we seek the things that are above because we want to be grateful. We seek to live the new self because we want to let gratitude for this beautiful gift of the riches that are God's grace upon us to be known and seen through the world. And we do want to match the worthiness that is Christ, who is there in heaven, but is also here in me. Because if, if Christ stood in my place, right? Christ stood in my place in death, has carried me to resurrection, he stands in my place as my advocate, as my defender in heaven. And he is the one who administers and guarantees that God the Father acquits me and pardons me. And this 
is the meal that we use to celebrate these beautiful truths. This is the meal that Jesus gave us to celebrate that beautiful truth. That in him we die, in him we rise, and in him a new covenant that was poured out through the shedding of his blood has been made with the people of God. You know these words. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have risen above all of these things. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. And so we have been united with Christ to find a home in the presence of God continuously. That's what it means to be united with God's ascension. And that if we die before Jesus comes again, we will find a spot in heaven until the new heaven and new earth. And until those two things, we celebrate this meal that God gave us to remember his work and to remember that we are united with him, that all of God's promises are a yes in Jesus, and to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit even now here, transforming us. This sacrament is meant to be a meal that points us back to remember and points us forward in hope and in prayer. And so as we join our hearts together, because we indeed have been called in the one body, Let us take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to be at work in this meal. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, with sincere hearts we draw near to this table that you welcome us to. We look forward to knowing that we have a place because of you in heaven. We look forward to feasting with you in heaven. And we look forward and trust these promises of you, God, to be true because we can look back and see how your promises have already been accomplished. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that as we take these little bites of bread and these little sips of juice, we will remember the bigness that is you, God. We will remember your pardon given to us, God our Father. We will remember your sacrifice and your outpouring of love, God our Son, 
and we will remember your presence here among us, God the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.